0: Morning. You guys look strange today. Just want you to know that's a compliment, by the way. We're in the third week of this series as we're going through the letter of 1 Peter, written by a disciple of Jesus to Christians that were scattered all over the Greek and Roman world. And Peter's encouragement to them is, hey, you're you're living in a culture that is hostile to your faith. There are people all around you that don't get it. They don't understand why you think the way you think, why you talk the way you talk, why you do what you do. Here's how you live out your faith in a hostile environment like that. And Peter's encouragement to them is to be strange. Be holy. You are, you are set apart for God. And so just live like that. Be strange. And love strangers. Everybody. Everybody was created in the image of God and has infinite dignity and worth tied to that. So just love strangers. The people around you, the person next to you, they're strange. Love them, right? So as we continue this week, we're going to dive into kind of a more difficult part, a part that's a little harder for us, I think, to embrace and wrap our minds around, where Peter's going to talk about submission and and what it looks like uh, to live a lifestyle of submission, a posture of submission as a follower of Jesus. Uh, This is not something that we are going to get really excited about. Um, but it's really important when you see what God can do through people who just embrace a posture of submission. Um, it, it's, a, it's a way forward for a lot of people to get to Jesus. So we're going to start by just reading um, five verses kind of sprinkled from First uh, Peter chapter 2 through chapter 5. Uh, where Peter kind of starts out with the same, same words. Be subject to, he's going to say, in five different relationships in life, categories of life be subject to. And then we're going to break those down after we kind of understand a little bit what submission means. So let's start with 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. He starts this conversation this way. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So first thing, be subject to the government, he tells them. Number two... Uh, Chapter uh, 2, verse 18. Servants, he says, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. So servants, submit to your masters. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So in, in the home. Submission in the home uh, has words for the husbands as well. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And the fifth category is in chapter 5, verse 5. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How many of you at some point in that reading cringed? Was anybody like, ugh, why did he say that? Why did he say it that way? Is that, we don't, we don't, we don't talk like that. Um, we'll, we'll get to that and hopefully we can uh, come to a place of understanding of what God really wants for us here in this passage. But I want to talk about this idea of submission Because it's countercultural. It's it's counterintuitive for me individually. Like I I don't like to submit. I think of this as choosing to lose. Choosing to lose. That's that's what he means by submit, be subject to. Choosing to lose. Any of you that have ever competed with me at anything know this is not my default mode, right? I don't I don't choose to lose. I, I choose to win. I want to win. We had a game night here, uh, Friday night. We had a bunch of people come out, just play board games and cards. And uh, you should have been here. It was awesome. And I, I played several different games. And my, my hope in every game I played was that I won. I, I wanted to be the winner. And uh, so I lost at Exploding Kittens with uh, some people. Then uh, I got just waxed by uh, Ben Wilmer in chess, which was kind of embarrassing. And then I thought I had finally found the thing I was going to win. There's this game that that my son plays called Corridor. It's kind of a new game. It's a strategy game. And I challenged uh, Olivia Gable, who is 10 and (laughs) has never played this game before. And so we, we sat down I explained the rules and I beat her by one. If you've ever played that game, it's one, it's a really close game. And if we had played again, she would have beaten me. She picked up on it really fast. So I was like, uh, I got other things to do. I got to go. So cause I just, I, I don't like to lose. I would rather win. I, I'm, I don't get angry like I used to. I used to get angry at losing. I don't do that anymore. But man, I really like to win. And so this concept Of choosing to lose just rubs me the wrong way. It does not feel right. Why would I choose to lose? If I have the opportunity to win, why would I choose to lose? That's a legitimate question that Peter's listeners should be asking. Peter, why would we choose? Peter, all we've heard about the gospel is that Jesus Christ sets us free, that we have the power of God inside us through the Holy Spirit. Like, we are powerful. People who have never been powerful in their lives, we are powerful. We are free. People who have never been free, we are free. We are strong. People who have been weak can say we are strong. Now, why would we not leverage that power, that strength, that freedom for ourselves so that we can win? Well, Peter will explain that to them in chapter two, verse 21, right in the middle of this section on submission. Here's what Peter says. Here's your reason. So this is something to memorize. Just lock this one away. For to this, he's talking about submission, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He says, you want to be like Jesus? Choose to lose, because he chose to lose for you. Every person who attacked Jesus was weaker than him. Every person who came to him with an intellectual argument was dumber than him. Every person who took a whip and beat him before his crucifixion was weaker than him. Every person who drove nails into his hands had less power, less authority than Jesus. And never once did he leverage his power, his strength, his authority for himself. He chose to lose. And what's the result of that? You and I are set free. You and I are made strong. You and I receive power through the submission of Jesus. And Peter says he did that to set an example for you. This is how you're called to live. Choose to lose. Submit. That's not how our society really works, is it? We we don't do that. We don't choose to lose. In fact, we're kind of raised with this sense of I'm I'm supposed to fight for my rights. I'm supposed to stand up so that I can be counted equal. I'm supposed to make sure everyone knows that my status is legitimate. I'm supposed to get as much influence and authority as I can. Like that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. Peter says the opposite. Choose to lose. Submit. There are two kinds of submission. There's, there's the kind of submission that you force on to someone. If you're stronger, you can force someone to submit, right? If you're stronger, you can can make someone submit to you. If you have more power, more authority, you can make someone submit. The other kind is voluntary submission, where maybe you are stronger and yet you're choosing to submit to one who is weaker. Which kind is Peter pointing us to? The second kind. When you're the strong one, when you're the powerful one, when you're the free one, submit, choose to lose doesn't make sense does it uh, I want to show you a little demonstration of what this kind of submission looks like in real life so I've asked someone to come and help me Josh uh, would you come and uh, help me Josh is in law enforcement and he has a lot of training and experience and ways to hurt bad guys <laughs> that's just kind of what he does and um, and Josh uh, So we got mixed up when we were born. I was supposed to look like this, and he was supposed to look like this. And I don't know what happened, but it it got crossed up somehow. He's got the body I was supposed to have. I'll sort that out with God later. But um, who would like to see Josh do a demonstration of submission uh, right here? (laughs) You guys think you know what's about to happen, don't you? If Josh were to force me to submit, what kind of submission would that be? That would be forced, right? The stronger imposing their power on the weaker. But we're going to demonstrate the stronger submitting to the weaker. Josh has taught me how to uh, put him in a submission hold, and he's going to allow me, out of the kindness of his big warm heart, to do that. You ready? All right. Okay, so... um, I asked Josh previously if there is any way he would ever allow someone, a bad guy, to do this to him. He said, uh-uh, no way, no way, because that's his, his job, is to protect people, and you can't voluntarily submit when that's your job, but as, as followers of Jesus, this is what we're supposed to do, what Josh is doing right now. He's stronger. He could tear me apart, and yet this is what he has opted to do. How are you doing, buddy? You okay? We're not tapping out yet? okay Okay. at no point in that demonstration was I in control I just want you to know that (laughs) but this this is what Christ calls us to this is the example that Jesus set. he was bigger he was stronger than everyone and yet he voluntarily submitted to pain to suffering to vulnerability how how vulnerable is that position do you do you like that No. no not at all So, it's not comfortable, and we don't like it, but that's what we're called to. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate your help. He's available for uh, lessons, if anybody wants to learn uh, how to do what Josh just did. Um, I learned a new trick that I hope I will never use again. Uh, So... That, that doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to be in that position of vulnerability. Most of us fight against that. We actually structure our lives in such a way that we never have to feel like that. We never have to feel vulnerable. We never have to feel at risk to someone who has power or strength. And yet Peter is calling us in these five different categories of life to choose to lose. Be, lay down your strength. Lay down your authority. Lay down your freedom for the sake of someone else. So let's look at these five scenarios and see if we can um, see how uh, this should impact us in our lives today. Remember, Peter is writing in the first century, uh, 60 or 70 AD, uh, to our audience that is mostly in Roman cultures, which Peter is very familiar with. He's probably writing from Rome at the time. And so the things that he says to them will have a very significant and clear uh, application in their lives. And in our culture, it may look a little different. So we're just going to make sure that we understand uh, what's going on in Peter's time and then what this looks like for us today. So beginning back in uh, chapter 2, verse 13, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So here he's talking about the government, the people in charge. And what was their government like? Was it a democracy like ours where people got to vote and they had representatives? Nope. It was uh, Caesar, and he was the king. I mean, he was the emperor, and whatever he said, that's what happened. He was even considered divine by some. He's a son of the gods. That, that's what they would say about him. And he, he just did wherever he wanted. It didn't matter if it was in your best interest or not. And he was not prone to act in the best interests of followers of Jesus. In fact, he was most likely going to do the opposite. And that's what happened to the Christians. Um, and under this government, where these people who have responded to the gospel, which the gospel says, you are free. You have, in Christ, you have been set free from sin and death. In Christ, you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're free, you're powerful, more so than you've ever been before. And now, you're under a government that is not for you, but against you. So what do we want you to do? Do we want you to leverage your freedom in Christ? Do we want you to leverage the power of the Holy Spirit to rebel and resist this pagan government? No. Submit. Instead, submit. Just live under the laws of the land. Do do what you're told. Now, this would only apply uh, if the laws of the land aren't contrary to the laws of God. Peter, in fact, and the book of Acts is preaching, and the the rulers of his land, of his city, the Jewish leaders, told Peter, "You got to stop talking about Jesus." Did Peter submit to that? No. He said, "No. I, I'm I'm going to obey God rather than men." But then he tells these people, unless it's a direct opposition to God's will, submit to the laws of the land. So I want, I want you to think about a, a school teacher who has a classroom full of students. And this teacher loves the Lord and knows that what's best for these students is for them to know how much God loves them. So it's against the law for the teacher to call this class to prayer and say, hey, we're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray. I want to pray for you. We're going to pray to to God this morning. It's against the law. But the teacher loves the Lord and knows that this is what's best for the students. Does the teacher go ahead and break the law in that case and lead the class in a public prayer? Peter would say no. No. Your best way forward is to submit to the laws of the land because this honors God and it is going to give you an opportunity to show people what God's love is really like. This submission is going to work for you down the road. It doesn't feel good in the moment, but it's going to work for you down the road. Peter's saying, you can fight that battle. You can fight that battle, and you can go ahead and break that law, but you're going to lose the more important battle, which is helping people see Jesus in you. It's not a fair trade-off. He says, instead, choose to lose this battle so that you can win the bigger one. He talks next uh, about uh, servants and masters, in First uh, Peter 2:18, he says, "Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust." Uh, sometimes, in some translations, this word for servant is actually rendered as slave. So, what he's talking about is people who really have no rights, no voice in the places where they work. They're they they're servants. They they don't even get paid. Uh, this is not slavery, as what, what we would be familiar with from our country's history. This is uh, an indentured servitude where they just they just don't get they don't get paid and they they're not guaranteed fair treatment. And Peter says, "You're you're this is the situation that you're in." Some of these people are are followers of Jesus and they're in churches. He says, "Some of you are going to have masters who are kind to you, and some of you are going to have masters who are unkind to you, who will take advantage of you, who will oppress you." In both cases. Submit. You're free. You're absolutely free. And you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And and you can absolutely assert your independence. You could fight. But that's the wrong battle. Don't fight. Submit. So that you can win the bigger battle of helping people see the love of God through your behavior. Submit. So, we, we, we don't have this uh in our church, slavery or, or this level of servitude, but uh, many of you work jobs where you have a boss. Some of you, your boss is, is really kind and wants what's best for you and is for you. And some of you are in an environment where that is not the case. And your, your boss doesn't really want what's best for you and is not kind and doesn't, doesn't care about you. And, and Peter would say to us in both cases, Submit. You're free. You're absolutely free. And you're absolutely empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you could resist, and you could fight, and you could rebel. But that's the wrong battle. Instead, by your conduct of humility, you will show people what the love of God looks like. Lose the little battle so that you can win the big one. In chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see respectful and pure conduct. Let me be really clear about what Peter is not saying here. Peter is not saying that women are inferior to men. He's not saying that wives have to do whatever their husbands say. That's not what he's saying. He's talking specifically to these women who most likely many of them have husbands who are not followers of Jesus. But they're experiencing something in the church that they would not experience at home. At home, the husband is in charge. Whatever he says goes. And if, and if he doesn't love you anymore, if he doesn't want you around anymore, ladies, he can just divorce you and send you out and you're, you're on your own. That, that could happen. That was a reality in their culture. But in the church, they're experiencing something very different. They're experiencing a, a place where after the pattern of Jesus, women are treated as equal to men. And Peter says, you're going to experience this in the church, then you're going to go home, and you're going to want to fight, you're going to want to resist, you're going to want to rebel, especially if your husband's an unbeliever. And he says, don't do that. Instead, submit. Because you could win the small battle of gaining some kind of status or or some kind of power in your home, and lose the larger battle of pointing your husband to Jesus. He says, lose the small battle and win the big one. Submit. Submit. So in, in our culture, we don't, we don't have this situation at home. I hope that's not the case uh, for any of you ladies at home where you have a, a husband who is, is domineering and dominant and, and whatever I say goes, and, and if, if, if you cross me, I'll kick you out. I hope that's not the case. I don't think that is for, for women today. But what we're supposed to experience as a church is, is this place where there's equality and fairness and, and shared status and, and in the home. In the home, we don't, we're not going to fight for our own rights. We're not going to fight for our own equality. But we're going to live in such a way that will point our spouse to Jesus. He has words for the husbands as well in verse 7. He says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. A couple of phrases in here that kind of... Uh, make us uncomfortable. The weaker vessel thing, um, it's, it may sound like Paul is saying that women are less than men. That's, that's not what he's saying. When he, when he uses the word vessel, he's talking about a physical form, right? So he's saying most often men, the husband is going to be bigger and stronger than the wife. And in those cases, it would be really easy for men to leverage their strength over their wives, to control them, to get them to do what they, they want. And he says, no, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's not how we're going to do things. You're not going to leverage your strength against your wife. You're, you're not going to do that. In fact, he says, they, they, you are co-heirs of the grace of God. That under the grace of God, you have the same status. You are both sinners, and you're both saved by the grace of God. And he tells these husbands, honor your wives. This is going to look strange in their culture. Men didn't do this. They weren't required to do this by any societal laws. They, they kind of just did what was best for them. And, and Peter's saying in a Christian home, it's going to be different. Husbands, you're going to honor your wives. You're going to treat them with respect. Paul, Paul would even say, husbands, they're going to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We're called to sacrifice men. And, and why? Why would we be called to sacrifice? He says, "So that your prayers will not be hindered." Why, why would it hinder your prayers if you didn't honor your wife? Well, guys, I want you to imagine this scenario. What if um, you're, uh, you you were you dishonored your wife in some way, and her father found out, and then you went to her father to ask for a favor? Hey, can I bar the boat? Can we use the cabin? And he said, hey, you, you, you mistreated my daughter. So we need to deal with that first. Don't be coming to me for favors until we deal with that. Right? I would, I would be terrified if my father-in-law was upset with me about something. Uh, so I just try to treat his daughter well. Right? Well, men, your wives are daughters of God. You can't dishonor a daughter of God and then go to God and ask him for something. He's going to say, no, 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 no. We, we need to deal with this. You dishonored my daughter. This child is precious to me. We're going to deal with this first. Don't do don't ask me for anything. we got, we got something else to take care of. Your prayers will be hindered, guys, if we don't honor our wives. So uh, there are some cultural questions that come up and uh, how uh, women are to be treated because in, in, in the culture of the time it was a very male-dominated society. And we kind of live in a time where that's, that's in our history. That's, that's part of what's happened in our culture. There have been times and, and places and circumstances and still are when uh, opportunities for women have been limited because of a male-dominated society. But the church was always intended to be different. The church was always intended to look different. In fact, if you look at the life and teaching of Jesus, every time he encounters a woman, what does he do? He elevates her status. Women were oppressed in his time. And so he, he goes to them in their oppressed state and he elevates them every single time. And the church is supposed to reflect this mentality. And so here at Cicero Christian Church, this is our desire and our goal. It's to, to show that, that women are equally gifted and called to serve and contribute to the church family. You know, we have uh, female pastors here, Amber... And Katie, our children's pastor and our middle school pastor, we believe they're gifted by God to do what they do. And we want to acknowledge that. We have uh, women who are ministry team leaders here. Now, um, back, uh, you know, years ago, we would have called these deacons or deaconesses. That's the title used in in the scripture. But now we call them ministry team leaders. They serve the same role. And they're servant leaders in the church. And we have had women who have filled those roles for years here at Cicero Christian Church. We have women who lead microchurches and Bible studies and student ministry groups. And very soon, you're going to see women helping serve communion on Sunday mornings. Our leadership has decided... In the past, traditionally, we just felt like this is a, an opportunity for men to serve uh, the ladies. But we recognize that it's an opportunity for ladies to serve as well. And we just, we just want to make sure that everybody knows that's open and available. So we, we want to elevate the status of women the exact same way that Jesus did. When Peter tells these husbands that you are co-heirs with your wives in the grace of God, that should be demonstrated by the way we treat each other here in the church. And so we want to acknowledge that. We do have men elders. We we do believe that scripture is pretty clear, that elders uh, in scripture take the spiritual responsibility for the life and health of the church. And we're we're sticking with that. That seems pretty clear. In, In other cases, we believe there's a lot of liberty, for us to allow uh, the same opportunities for men and women to serve and contribute. So, um, we've got the government, we've covered your workplace, the home, and now Peter is going to say in chapter 5, verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now Peter is going to speak to those who are young. And say, as young people, you tend to think that you know everything. We, we when we're young, and I, I'm young compared to some, tend to think that I, I've got better ideas and, and, you know, what's new is best. And, and, and Peter would say to me and those of us who are younger, he would say, you need to respect those who are older than you. You need to acknowledge that they have wisdom and experience. And, and you need to submit to them. It's, it's an opportunity where you choose. You, you choose to lose. And then he follows that up by saying, all of you live, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. This, this is just across the board. What he's saying is, here's, here's five scenarios. The government, your workplace, um, in your homes, and um, between younger and older. Here's some specific scenarios, but he kind of wraps it up by saying, The posture, the default posture for a follower of Jesus should be submission and humility. Default. That's just where you should automatically go is submission and humility because Jesus submitted so that you could be free. And when you show this kind of submission and humility in your workplace, in regards to government, in your home, between younger and older generations, you are showing people The love of God. You're opening doors for disciples of Jesus to love strangers. Lose the small battle so that you can see a victory of people turning to Jesus because they've seen what it looks like for people to really follow him in daily life. Lose the small battle so that you can win the more important one. Be strange, he would say, and submit. I want to clarify really quickly um, what does this mean when it comes to oppression and injustice in the world I think it'd be easy to mishear this and say well we're just supposed to turn a blind eye to oppression we're not supposed to stand up for other people obviously that's not how Jesus lived we what we see is that Jesus was always the strongest always the freest always had the most authority but he never leveraged it for himself not once but he did leverage his power and his strength and his authority and his freedom for others. He did it all the time. Every time he healed someone, he was leveraging his power for the sake of another person, yet he never healed himself. He always leveraged what he had for the sake of others. If we want to live in a society where everyone fights for their own rights, their own status, their own equality, who's going to win? The strong, the powerful, those with the most authority, those with the most money. If that's the kind of society we want, where each person fights for themselves, the strong will win. But what if the church was a community where we didn't fight for ourselves, we fought for everyone else? I'm willing to fight. I'm willing to leverage whatever strength or authority or power that comes my way. I'm willing to leverage it for your benefit. In that kind of community, who wins? Everybody. That's what the church is supposed to look like. A group of people who are willing to lay down their privilege, lay down their status, lay down their equality, lay down their rights for each other. And when we all do that, everyone's taken care of. I think we're just afraid. We're afraid if I, if I submit, I'm going to lose. If, if I submit, someone is going to take something from me. If I submit, somebody's going to hurt me. And what, what Peter ends with Here in chapter 5, verse 6 is is the opposite. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time He may exalt you. And when you're exalted by God, (laughs) you can't go any higher than that. He can reach a lot higher than you can. And so if we try to exalt ourselves, it's it's a tiny little victory. If we humble ourselves, if we submit and we let God exalt us, it's a gigantic victory. That's where real peace and joy and purpose are found. When we humble ourselves and we allow God to be the one who exalts us. It's countercultural, it's counterintuitive. It doesn't feel always good. It always doesn't always feel right. But it is the way of Jesus. He set an example for us to follow. Because when we choose to lose, we're actually creating an opportunity for someone else to win by coming to Christ. Is that worth it? Absolutely. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be challenged in this way, and I know it's a, it's a challenge for me personally. I don't, uh, I don't naturally want to do this, but I see the example that Christ set. I want to be like Jesus, and I want other people to come to Christ. So my prayer, Father, is that you would help me to embrace this posture of submission so that others can see Christ in me. I pray the same thing for my brothers and sisters here, that we would not leverage any power or influence that comes our way for ourselves but we would lay it down for the sake of others as backwards as that feels and that you would use that kind of behavior to point people to Jesus. Would you do that through us, Father? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our mission as followers of Jesus and as the church is to go into all the world and make disciples. Every nation. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. That's our mission. That's what you are here for. And what if, in order for us to accomplish that mission, I have to choose to lose? Is that worth it? Is that a path I'm willing to walk? Absolutely, because I have friends. I have family who don't know Christ. And if me choosing to lose would lead a friend or a family member to Christ, I'll lose all day long, every single time. Because that's way more important. And I know that someday God's gonna lift me up. How about you? Do you know people? Do you run into people that don't know Christ? But maybe through your behavior of, of counterintuitive counter and countercultural humility and submission, maybe they could see the love of God in that. Would it be worth it? This is our mission. This is what we're called to. If you're a follower of Jesus, the directive is clear. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to encourage you to know that Christ submitted to crucifixion to humiliation, to suffering and death so that you could be free from sin and death. He did that for you. And if you, because of that, if you believe in that, you want to make him the center of your life, we encourage you to do that. You can do that today. If you just need prayer, you want somebody to pray with you or pray for you, you can come down front. We're going to sing a song in just a minute and you can come down and we'll be happy to pray with you and pray for you. But I just encourage you as you sing to wrestle with this, um, have this conversation with God. Where in my life, Do I need to choose to lose so that somebody else can see your love and grace? Just go to God with that prayer. Would you stand?